Welcome to Lost in Twin Peaks. Today's episode covers the Season 3, Part 10, current events, meaning what was going on this summer of 2017 at this particular time when this episode came out. Let's dive right in. This episode aired on Sunday, July 16th, 2017. The number one film in the country this weekend was War for the Planet of the Apes, which earned $56.2 million. Quite a bit milder than the Spider-Man box office we talked about the previous week. One of the most acclaimed sequels of the summer, with some critics calling it the best apes film since the original Planet of the Apes 50 years earlier, War for the Planet of the Apes depicts, unsurprisingly, given the title, a fierce conflict between apes and humans for supremacy over the Earth, with Woody Harrelson cast as the Colonel Kurtz-like nemesis facing Andy Serkis in motion control and CGI as the heroic ape Caesar. Notably, we're now 10 episodes into The Return, which itself is a return to a 1990 original property, And every film that has topped the box office has been part of a larger franchise, and with the exception of Wonder Woman, also a sequel, usually with roots going back decades. So, these origins can be traced back to 2006 for Cars, 1984 for Transformers, 1979 for Alien, 1967 for Pirates of the Caribbean, 1963 for Planet of the Apes, 1962 for Spider-Man, and 1941 for Wonder Woman. In most cases, these icons were created by individuals and their collaborators who had dozens if not hundreds of other original concepts in their portfolios. The sense of recycling can be troubling. What does it say that our current pop culture is so reliant upon the creativity of past eras? If also, I suppose, reassuring in that it shows that history has at least some pull on the otherwise shallow trend-chasing industry, if you want to put some kind of gloss on it. On a fairly quiet news day, most full of sports victories, most notably two South Koreans competing in the U.S. Women's Golf Open at, yes, Trump National Golf Course, perhaps the biggest headline was connected to another strange fantasy cult show, Doctor Who. July 16th was when the BBC announced the replacement for Peter Capaldi, who had played the constantly regenerating Doctor since 2013. The 50-something actor would be replaced by Jodie Whittaker in her mid-30s, the first female Doctor in the show's history, although several others had been considered. This is in keeping with general trends, like the hoopla surrounding Wonder Woman's premiere and blockbuster success, celebrating feminist incursions into typically male areas of pop culture. Whitaker would make her debut five months later on a Christmas special, Twice Upon a Time, calling to mind the Prisoner's penultimate episode. When the Doctor would fall off the small time machine and spacecraft known as TARDIS, bigger on the inside than the outside, and land in Sheffield as the She-Doctor, in an episode titled The Woman Who Fell to Earth, in a nod to Peaks alum David Bowie. Quite a lot of shades of Twin Peaks Part 3 here, in which NATO was thrust from the TARDIS-like cube, which I recall many podcasters comparing at that time to Doctor Who. A full confession, perhaps an odd one for a person recording a super in-depth podcast on Twin Peaks of all shows, I understand almost nothing about Doctor Who, and find the whole concept and mythology utterly bewildering. The Time Magazine cover this week was Game of Thrones. This was for the week beginning July 10th, 2017. So we've got Planet of the Apes, Doctor Who, and now a third pop cultural icon for this week, the HBO show that would soon swamp Twin Peaks in the ratings. It's a bright, colorful cover, shot by the fashion photographer Miles Aldridge, that positions five cast members of Game of Thrones around a table, surrounded by lush curtains. The lighting, costuming, and composition all suggest an early Renaissance painting. And that influence is cited by Aldridge himself, alongside pop art and psychedelia. He specifically dropped the names of Albrecht Dürer and Lucas Cranach, 
adding that he looked to striped back to stripped back interpretations of the Last Supper for composition and Cy Twombly for color. A skull, dagger, pomegranate, and hourglass sit atop the orange tablecloth while a dog sniffs the hand of one of the actresses. The caption makes no bones about what it is celebrating, inside the world's most popular show. Time backs this claim in the article, writing, An average of more than 23 million Americans watched each episode last season, when platforms like streaming and video on demand are accounted for. And since it's the most pirated show ever, millions more watch it in ways unaccounted for. Thrones, which holds the record for most Emmys ever won by a primetime series, airs in more than 170 countries. It's the farthest-reaching show out there, not to mention the most obsessed about. People talk about living in a golden age of TV, ushered in by hit dramas like The Sopranos, Mad Men, and Breaking Bad. All had precisely honed insights about the nature of humanity and of evil that remade expectations of what TV could do. But that period ended around the time Breaking Bad went off the air in 2013. Where and what came next? An unprecedented glut of programming, with streaming services like Netflix, Amazon, and Hulu jumping into an ever more crowded fray. Now, there's a prestige show for every conceivable viewer, which means smaller audiences and fewer truly original stories. Except for Thrones, which merges the psychological complexity of the best TV with old-school Hollywood grandeur. You like shows with one, with one anti-hero? Well, Thrones has five Tony Sopranos building their empires on blood, five Walter Whites discovering just how far they'll go to win, five Don Drapers, unapologetic in their narcissism. Oh, and they're all living out their drama against the most breathtaking vistas not of this world. The Time article continues observing that, even if you don't watch, Thrones characters and catchphrases have permeated the culture. And I'll say, as someone who didn't watch, that's certainly true. The authors cite the South Korean election as an example of where entertainment bled into politics, but they could also have cited the 2016 U.S. election and its aftermath. Leftists on Twitter in their late teens will recognize the term, or leftists on Twitter in the late 2010s, um, some of them may be teens, some may be in their 30s, but they'd all recognize the term bend the knee, even if they aren't thrown heads, for example. It's interesting to read this in light of the show airing on the rival cable network simultaneously to Game of Thrones, because Game of Thrones' big premiere was programmed for 9 p.m. this same night as Part 10. The process of meticulous screenwriting years in advance, ornately working out the clockwork plotting, and then shooting on green screen stages with an international army in constant communication in VFX shops around the continents, all of this is described in loving, excited, but somewhat exhausting detail in the article. For all of its own sprawl, Twin Peaks The Return was a much more scrappy production than Game of Thrones, and with that comes a certain amount of inventiveness that, admittedly, as someone who never got the, past the first episode or two of Game of Thrones, I don't quite sense from that more severely anchored show. For all of the hype at this time, I have to wonder which feels fresher to those who watch both of them five years later. That's it for this episode. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. You can support this work on patreon.com slash lostinthemovies. And tomorrow we will uh, continue this coverage with the In the Weeds sections, the order of events, the character rankings, and coffee, pie, and donuts, of course. So we'll see you then. You heading south? King's Landing. Poor girl. <laughs> Not so bad, is it? Depends on your taste, I guess. If you like your streets covered in shit and pig's blood, it's the town for you. <laughs> All my life I wanted to see the Red Keep, the Scepter Baylor, the Dragon Pit. 
Then, when I finally make it, they wouldn't let me within a mile. The Red Keep. The Scepter Baylor's blown to hell. And the Dragon Pit, so damn ruined. The people <laughs> who live there, they'd skin you alive if they could make two coppers off your hide. Worst place in the world. What are you doing in the Riverlands? There's been some trouble with the Freys up at the Twins, so we're part of the army that's been sent to keep the peace. Here you go. Guess first. Oh, no, I couldn't. You don't have enough. But my mother always told me to be kind to strangers. Strangers to be kind to you. <laughs>